You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Ken Triter, real estate investor syndicators with more than seven years on syndication in Midwest. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Ken? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks so much for being with us today. And before we jump into interesting subjects about syndication, I would like to ask you, what was the motivation to jump to commercial real estate? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it was really about uh, it was really about the ability to scale. So I started started out in more residential um, house flipping, doing duplexes, a lot of different things. It was more of a hobby at the time when I still had my W two job, mm-hmm. and you know, all of the strategies that I that I had implemented, probably four or five of them, mm-hmm. um, none of them gave me the either the scalability or level of returns mm-hmm. um, that I really wanted. And so, you know, you flip a house, you, you can make a lot of money, but it's not a scalable thing. Not for me, at least. Um, so that really led me to figure out, well, what else is out there? And that led me to multifamily and the ability to buy, you know, hundred units under one roof instead of buying a hundred mm-hmm. houses. Mm-hmm. And then I learned uh, through great mentors about syndication and that you can further expand and diversify um, by investing alongside other people. And that was really a game changer for me. That was kind of what what really set the light bulb off. Mm. And from there, you know, I was really off to the races with, uh, I knew the strategy that I wanted to pursue for the next 25 years. So your focus now is more on the Midwest. So can we talk about more about what is the upside from your perspective about Midwest, especially like market fundamentals, rent to growth, uh, population growth, and all of the business highlight. What was the motivation? Say, I want to stay on my market. I don't want to go uh, in the south, for example. Uh, sure. So there was, um, you know, some of it is some of it is is strategically driven. Some of it is just practical hmm. um, as a place to start. So, you know, I live in the Midwest. I live in Indianapolis, hmm. which uh, you talk about um, market fundamentals. Indianapolis, I think everybody probably saw the CoStar article, but Indianapolis just hit top of the list for rent growth. Yeah. Uh, looking year over year, it was, it was over Miami was the, was the big headline. Hmm. And so um, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's one of those things so there, there's that piece of it um, that I've always believed in the Midwest, believed in the stability of it. Uh, we don't have these big cyclical up and downs, right? It's very steady eddy with constant growth. That's one of the reasons I think we're seeing such high relative rent growth now because we haven't seen it yet. We've Indianapolis has always been kind of three, four percent rent growth, just steady, ticking up every year. Only recently have we started to see, you know, maybe ten percent, twelve percent swings. Um, and in relation to other markets where you have markets like a Phoenix, maybe where rents up 50 or hundred yeah. percent. Right. Uh, but now I started to see pullbacks on both occupancy and actually seeing rent declining Yeah, uh, where Indianapolis, I think is not, you know, just doesn't have these big swings. Right. You saw the same thing in markets like Phoenix and Vegas in, in 08, right. Those are some of the hardest hit during uh, that crash uh, where the Midwest was was relatively untouched comparatively speaking. So I just love the stability, the safety um, and the ability to to get returns, uh, but without those the volatility that you could expect. And then also just, um, 
you know, practically speaking, it's where I live, uh, knowing that I wanted to be able to drive to all the properties when, when it was just me doing this, I didn't have a team. I wanted it to be realistic and I didn't want to be flying around all around the country. Cause that's what I did in my previous job. And part of getting out of that was to have more time with my family. Mm. And that was part of real estate for me. So I basically drew about a three hour radius around Indianapolis and said, okay, I'm going to focus on good markets here. And so that's really how we got started. And that includes markets like Indy, um, Louisville, Lexington, uh, Dayton, Cincinnati, all, all of where we have properties right now. And, um, and then just thinking about it from, you know, again, from a strategic standpoint, like you said, everybody else is going South or Correct. going West. Yeah. Um, so do I want to go where all the competition is, or do I want to carve my own niche in my backyard where I know the markets intimately, um, grew up in Indianapolis, know the, know each neighborhood, know where the good and bad streets are. Um, and just start there as I really learn and grow this. Now we're at a point where we're expanding and we're expanding down to the South because you can't deny the migration trends. Yep. Um, but we're not losing the Midwest. That will always be a core, but we're, we're starting to migrate down. And that's really a function of me now having built a business to a point where I can hire a robust team to help me do that. So now we have a director of acquisitions, you know, we have director or we have a VP of capital um, or investor relations. We have a whole host of other members on the team or actively hiring. And I just got off an interview actually for uh, a director of asset management role. So creating a team that allows us to scale and have a further reach. I think when, you, when you're saying the actual shift to you to, to add the additional market to your, to your list, it's more like because you want to achieve more acceptable return to an investor because it's not there on the Midwest or it's more about the availability of deals and flow of deals. What was the main? Yeah, no, no, it has nothing to do with the returns because I mean, frankly, our returns that we provide in the Midwest have been fantastic and, and on par or above hmm. um, other deals that I've seen out there just because again, I think, I think that local knowledge, I think the ability to buy off market, um, the ability to, to really go in and uh, provide you know, extreme value and being able to buy in more tertiary markets where we know growth is coming, but they haven't hit the headlines yet, right? So when the headlines hit, we're already there. That's where we've been really successful. Um, and that's happened recently uh, on really you know three properties and, and three markets kind of surrounding Indianapolis for us. All of a sudden they've hit the headlines and lo and behold, there we are. Hmm. Um, so that it's not about the returns. It's really about, yeah, the ability it's about diversification mm. and it's about deal flow. Yeah. And, you know, to, to maintain the, as our investor base grows to be able to maintain and find great deals for those investors. Um, we need, we need larger deal flow. Yeah. Um, as you grow and scale, you know, you, you, you keep, you gotta, there's practically that you have to just keep the machine fed. And so uh, we're not looking, we're still only going to do great deals, but we're, we're spreading, over a wider net to find those great deals. And we have the team now to be able to, to really do that uh, versus just me doing it uh, nights and weekends and, and early mornings. So about the 2023 is expectation, uh, the Fed is gonna raise the interest February 1st, March 21st, uh, and all of the expectation going on the route that we're gonna have 25 PPS point, we hope that there's no additional 50 PPS on February 1st, but all of the speculation and expectation is going to be based on the new Fed's uh, 
uh, interest hike. How do you yeah. see the market, uh, especially on the Midwest now? From because now the main focus is uh, to capture the actual spread between the cap rate and um, the interest rate to have some sort of like a positive cash flow. So how do you see the actual implication of this on your market so far? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, cash flow has been squeezed, right? Yeah. If you have variable interest rates. So yeah. some of our rates are fixed. Others are, others are variable. Where we have variable, uh, we have caps and in, in some instances, even floors in place. Hmm. Um, so I think, first of all, just I think most of the pain... Well, I think the initial shock, I think everybody's on, hopefully on the, on the page now that like you need to be paying attention to interest rates and you need to be underwriting higher rates into your deals. Yes. Um, I, I think the people that are really going to be hurting are the people that, that had low expectations, uh, especially with bridge debt, right? If you were in bridge debt in 20 or 21 and you were, you got a two to three year term and you're expecting to refinance at a, at a three and a half or 4% interest rate, and you're really coming out in a six or six and a half interest rate environment. Mm. Um, those deals aren't going to pencil anymore. You're going to be, you're going to be in trouble and you're gonna have to figure out a way out of that. Yeah. Um, but for us, I mean, largely it's, it's a much, we always operate with a longer time horizon. Mm. Uh, we trend toward fixed debt. And when we use variable debt, we, like I said, we fix that rate. We cap that rate to make sure we're protected. So while, right. while cash flow has taken a hit, um, you know, what we haven't seen happen yet, and I, and I believe will happen more is really a lot of cap rate expansion to catch up to where those interest rates have moved. Hmm. And, I, and I think the reason is, is, is one, um, it's timing because sellers are still expecting to get what they could have gotten in Q1 of 22. Correct. Buyers have adjusted their expectations more quickly. And so there's a, just a widespread between kind of that bid ask, right? A buyer seller. Um, but also because I think cap rates, a lot of people say cap rates are tied to interest rates. I don't actually think that's true. I think cap rates are tied to the amount of capital chasing these deals. Um, and interest rates affect the cost of capital and affects the amount of capital traditionally dri driving to find these deals. I think the thing that's different is the $9 trillion or whatever dollars that were created during COVID um, the 5 trillion or so that's still largely sitting on the sidelines waiting to be deployed. Mm. Um, there's still a lot of groups on the sidelines with dry powder ready to deploy capital into real estate. And I think that's kept the appetite high mm. um, and, and slowed some of that cap rate expansion that we would typically expect to see. So while I think we, st we still will see some and, I, and I'm definitely hoping that there's some deals on the horizon because we're very bullish uh, buyers. Um, I don't think we're going to see crazy expansion uh, to the tune of in lockstep with interest rates. I also think that that now, you know, if you talk about 25 plus basis points, I mean, we felt most of the pain now, right? Um, hopefully the way you've underwritten your deals, you can, you can uh, absorb another 25 bips or 50 bips or so um, in the near term, because I think everybody understands that we're, and we're starting to see some leading indicators that, you know, as inflation slows and, and it will, you know, interest rates will come back down. That's the first lever that the Fed pulls yeah. uh, up or down, right? And so we will see that. Not that it's going to happen like tomorrow, but 
you know, if you look at the forward curves for SOFR, which is what a lot, a lot of loans are based off of, it's showing really that curve starting to come down to a more reasonable level in, say, August or September of, of uh, like 2024. So there's still still time where we're going to be high and we're going to plateau for a little bit. Uh, but if you can make it through that, there will be a return to normalcy, I believe. And at the end of the day, if you're, if, I think if you're buying great real estate in good markets, um, you know, the value will still be there, especially as rates come down. I think there's a valid point here as everyone sees that there's a, the expectation of the seller starts to be more reasonable. And this is basically your point of the cab expansion uh, with the price going down to have it more realistic uh, with, the, with the current uh, interest hikes. And uh, all of the expectation, and you mentioned, is uh, all of the recession is going to settle down by end of this uh, year and then started to go to the, the normal the norm on 2024 so about uh, you mentioned on the beginning uh, uh, that mentorship and uh, building your brand basically on in uh, commercial real estate uh, investment especially that you you know that this is more like a team sport can you tell me what was the, the motivation to say okay I'm starting this business. I have to hire a mentor. Oh, just the, the recognition uh, that I there's a lot I don't know. and I, One, I don't know everything. Uh, two, there's probably a lot of stuff I don't even know I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I came from management consulting. Mm. Uh, so I had a great business acumen, mm. but uh, real estate was new to me in 2015. Yeah. You know, I had done it. I had passively invested in a handful of deals, but again, that's passive. Right. Yeah. So I knew if I was going to take uh, a new endeavor, uh, I needed some training. And so I saw, you know, I, I got into some programs and signed up for some training courses. Yeah. Then when, it, when I knew that I was going to start Hudson investing and I was really taking on other people's money and I took that very seriously, I knew I needed to put myself in a position to be successful I thought the best way to do that was to learn from people who had already been there and done that mm. and had had great success. And so those are the types of mentors that I sought out. Uh, regarding raising capital and uh, building your, your brand, uh, what kind of uh, like uh, book really uh, grabbed your attention about raising capital and handling objections? As a, as a new uh, player for the last four or five years, what was a big like objection you got with your your investors, especially uh, with raising capital to buy hundreds and hundreds of units? I think this is one of the main subject different differentiate between active syndicator and regular real estate investor. Yeah. So your your question is about what are what are some of the objections that I hear raising? Yeah, capital? yeah. And yeah. what actual books grip that your attention to help you to manage this uh, objections? Um, yeah. Good. Good question. So book wise, uh, there's a couple books that I that I really like. Um, you know, Joe Fairless ha has a great book on yeah. syndication, best yeah. ever real estate syndication book, I think. Um, yeah, correct. That is probably the most comprehensive guide to, to how to be a syndicator, I mean, raise capital and other things that I've read. Um, and Joe's a great guy with, with a fantastic knowledge set. Um, Hunter Thompson's got another good one. It's, yeah. uh, what is it, Raising, ca raising Capital? And I got it on my shelf. Raising Capital in Real Estate, I think is what it's called. But Hunter Thompson um 
That's a great guide, more granular on capital raising. I think though, it's a really good formula to follow if mm. that's something that you want to do. Um, and some of the objections, oh, another great book just for anybody that's presenting anything is called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. And that's a fantastic mm. read on just how to structure a presentation based on a lot of psychology and a lot of uh, neurology and just understanding how the brain works and how you can better structure your presentations and how a lot of people do it uh, backwards, essentially. So that's a good one. Um, so yeah, back to objections. You know, I, I think a lot of people I talk to, it's their first time mm. investing in real estate or potentially investing in real estate. I think the first hurdle is, you know, they're not sure they should invest in real estate. They think real estate is risky. Yeah. Um, they know an uncle who, you know, lost his shirt on a, a bad duplex or something. Right. 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 Um, so, so getting, getting over that, you really have to start, you have to ask questions. So the biggest tip I can give people is if you're having an investor call, the first call, you should speak like 20% of the time and you should seek to have them speak about 80% of the time. And you're really just asking questions to understand where they are, because only once you understand where they are, can you really deliver the right message for yeah. what they need to hear? Because they, they may, may not even, let alone not wanting to invest with you, they might not even know they want to invest in real estate yet, right? So it's, do they want to invest in real estate? Are they confident of that? Now there's a lot of ways to invest in real estate. So do they want to invest in multifamily, right? Why is that good? Do they want to then invest uh, with you in the way that you invest, right? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, do they want to invest in the specific deal that you're offering? Yes. And so I think there's these four levels that you have to get through and gain trust at each level. And, and, and you really have to lead with education because I, I truly believe if you provide the the education in the way that I was provided the education, that light bulb goes on mm. and they recognize that this is something that they need to be doing. But, um, but I've never been kind of a hard salesperson, you know, and, and I've never had success that way. So I think it's just lead through education, educate people about the opportunities because just how, how the human brain works is if something's unfamiliar, it's initially tagged as risky right? And something that should be avoided. So a lot of this is people just aren't familiar with how it works and it seems complicated, you know? So if you can, if you can make it simple and uh, increase their awareness of it and reduce that, um, you know, that level of risk that, that's going off in their brain, just because it's unfamiliar over time, um, I think you can get people to, to understand the opportunity there. Man, I, I like what you did, especially on the last four years, 700 units and four years. Coming to the main question here, after four years on syndication, what, how do you see that your strengths to jump from duplexes and triplex to have a 700 unit in four years? How do you describe your strengths? My strengths? Yeah. Um, well, mindset, number one, I, I work a lot on mindset. Everything starts with your, with your mindset. Um, I mean, I, I personally believe that I can do anything. Uh, I truly believe that. Uh, and I've, I've, I have a lot of exa examples of success to back that up, mm. but also a lot of work uh, on myself to believe that. So it starts with crushing limiting beliefs. We all have these beliefs, these things that we tell ourselves or other people told us or came from our childhood about what we can and can't do. 
Hmm. So it's about getting past that and believing that you can do whatever you want to do, but you got to believe that yourself. Nobody's going to give that to you. So that's a huge strength of mine is just my mindset. I think two, my ability to motivate and my ability to uh, just elicit passion in other people. Mm. And honestly, I've been humbled by my ability to attract great talent. I'm going through that right now. I mean, the team that we've built, it's just frankly humbling. I, I can't believe that these people are interested in coming on board and getting on this crazy journey with me, but, but mm. it's fantastic. Um, and then lastly, I'd say my strength is being able to take really complex topics and simplify them and make them easily accessible. Uh, whether it's a renovation plan, uh, communicating it to the property manager, or whether it's an investment idea and communicating it to an investor. Um, you know, I think in all those ways, just, just being able to boil things down to their essence and make it simple and approachable and easy to understand. I think uh, we had great fun today. A lot of information about Midwest. My last question will be, how is the people can follow your success? Yeah, um, well, I'd love to have people reach out. Our website is hudsoninvesting.com and you can learn, learn about my team and our projects and sign up to be on our investor list if you're interested. The other way is uh, I have a podcast called Ritter on Real Estate where, you know, I, similar to this, I interview great people and we talk about commercial real estate. Um, and lastly, you can follow me on social media. Again, it's, it's Ritter on Real Estate. Um, and yeah, I mean, those are ways if you want to track our success or get in touch. Uh, we're happy to hear from you or set up a call, uh, help in any way we can. Happy to bring you again to the show to talk more about your success. And we really appreciate, appreciate your time today. Thank you, Kent. Oh, thank you so much. I had fun being on the show. Thank you.